Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. All right. Good morning. How are we? Good. Good. I believe half of you. Another half aren't awake yet. Um, just ignore what's behind me as we're having a little bit of technical difficulties, and uh, if it gets too distracting, we can just turn off the projector. But it's going to be together this Christmas season. A couple quick notes based on one of the announcements that Crystal gave. Uh, one is the Christmas mission uh, offering that we're taking up that she mentioned. Uh, two things is one, our partners, the McCoys, who live in London, uh, I shared a video this week that he recorded for us. And so if you haven't seen that, it's on our social media. I meant to show it this morning, but it looks like it may have had issues to not show anyway. Uh, it's just a, like a three-minute video of just him saying, hello, this is how our family's doing. Uh, it looks freezing cold there, and he said it might be the same here, but thankfully it's not nearly as cold <laughs> here as it is there. And then the other is, uh, Crystal mentioned the tornadoes that took place this weekend in the southeast. Um, I know that my family knows some families personally who've been impacted by that. And so uh, one thing you guys may not know, but from day one, any internal offering that we take up, we actually give away, um, actually give away 10% of our offering from day one internally what we give. But 6% of that goes and it helps um, with an organization called Send Relief. And so like they're already boots on the ground doing things today. And so yes, our offer might be minimal, uh, but we contribute to that. So just know that we already in a very small way are already helping with some of that. But if there are specifics and you know, you go, hey, I need an organization that's already like doing things. We can talk about that afterwards. So I just wanted to mention that because some of you are new enough. You may not know that that's where some of our internal resources go. Uh, today is the third week of Advent where we, along with churches all over the world, set aside four weeks, uh, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, to celebrate and anticipate the first coming of Jesus. And so we have done that. And then we, we remember um, the first coming, but then we also anticipate the second coming of Christ. And we look for that, and we long for that. We try to get our minds almost in the mindset of the original uh, in the New Testament as they were longing for uh, Jesus to come the first time. And that's kind of where we have found ourselves, is we're, we're longing, the older I get, the more I long for Jesus to return when I look at the world around me and realize how very little control that I have or that we have to change things, but we believe that Jesus does have the power to change things. And so what we've done at Sojourn this season is we've tried to create space to slow down, you notice I slowed my pace, and I'm a fast preacher, but to slow down. <laughs> and to prepare our hearts as we reflect on the fulfilled promise of Jesus coming. We've leaned in this theme, good news for the outsider. As we have thought through this historic event of an unlikely hero. When we think about, we're going to look at the birth narrative of Jesus today. Like an unlikely hero arriving in an unlikely place to an unlikely people who offers good news to all people. Like if we take a step back and believe as Christ followers what we actually believe, how our God actually came incarnate to this, or like it's kind of crazy. I, I can actually resonate when people don't believe this. When people are like, are you sh-? Like that's kind of weird when you think about all the components. We're going to look at a few of those this morning. I was reminded this week of the traditional themes of Advent, of hope, of peace, of love, of joy. And you might hear those and you might think, this year I just haven't felt the hope. This year I just haven't felt the peace. I just don't feel the love. And I just don't have joy this season. Perhaps that's some of us this holiday season. But maybe rather you feel the turmoil. Maybe you feel the pain of just what's happening in kind of our culture and in our society. 
and the longing of this cultural moment. And just really, I feel like 2020 and 2021 have kind of been grouped together. Like if you're in conversation, right, people are like, 2020, 2021. And I'm like, remember we were all excited about a year ago this time? We are like, finally, the end of 2020. We're going into 2021. Well, I think now we're all like, oh, I'm not sure about 2022. Like, I kind of want to tiptoe in and kind of open the curtain a little bit and say like, what's in store for us? So I think some of us naturally are feeling that. We, you know, it's, I think for years, many of us probably went through the motions, right? And so it's, I'm not saying you are going through motions, but I've caught myself doing that. Where you're like, okay, I got to put a smile on and I got to sing like these songs and be happy. But it's possible that some of us feel like outsiders and that we haven't felt those traditional Advent themes because of just what is happening uh, around us. And so as we get started, I want to remind us, when you think about this idea of Advent, and depending on what tradition you grew up historically as far as church or if you don't have much at all, you may have not really grown up with this idea of Advent, but Advent is an invitation into a relationship where we get to experience the living God. And so that's what you're being invited into. That's what we're re-invited into, is a, a relationship with the living God. Now, I think the risk that we take, the longer that we are in church, and I've been in church since, you know, you guys see my, my kids here since I was born. So I've been in church for a really, really long time. I wasn't always following Jesus, but I've been in church itself for a really, really long time. And I think it's easy for us to confuse information about God with the experience of God, right? It's easy for us to confuse the information about God with the experience of God. And we all love information. Like, I don't know if it's just an American thing, but we love information. But we also know that information does not equate to transformation. And that's what I would say with that kind of one of our goals here at Sojourn is that, that we are transformed to look more and more like Jesus every single year. And so, yes, we give information. A lot of times you get information on Sundays, and sometimes you get information on Wednesdays and information maybe tables. But our goal wasn't just to give you a bunch of information. Right? You can go anywhere and get a bunch of information. Our goal was that we would actually see transformation. Our lives would be transformed. But we love information. I think it's one reason that podcasts are so popular. Right? We like to gain more information. Uh, there's a really, really, really popular one right now. I'm not going to mention the name of it. Some of you might know what I'm talking about. But it was about the implosion of this really large church and I think it's been so popular for multiple reasons. One, we love the information. What is the backstory? What actually happened? Like, we like the drama and the, the, the details behind the scenes. I think that's why there's such a thing as a gossip column. Right? We like information and we like to tell stories. And we almost like to have, like, sometimes you like to have a leg up on people. Like, well, I know that, right? And I, and, and, and I knew these things. This is why I personally love documentaries. You kind of get to go, like, what happened with this, you know, this time in history or what happened with this group of people or this band or this musician? Like, what took place? But we all know firsthand that information is no substitute for the actual experience of something. When we think about gift giving this time of year, I think about all the, some of my favorite gifts. And some of these I gave to myself. If you want to know, like, how you know you're for sure you'll enjoy the gift, just give one to yourself. You get to do that as you get a little bit older. Um, actually skydiving versus studying about skydiving. Okay, I did this without permission from Andrea. Uh, she might be tuning in this morning. She probably has a tear in her eye. She hears this because she hates this story. But yeah, actually skydiving. And by the way, it was one of the most thrilling experiences of my life. If you've never done skydiving, like I highly recommend it. <laughs> Studying information about India versus living a life in India. It was one thing for me to, to, to take, uh, get travel books and to read different things about that culture. But then actually moving there and living there was very, very different reading a book on marriage, and then actually being married, okay? There's a few of us married in the room, and then there's some of us who are probably getting married soon, right? So you can read all the books all day long and get recommendations from people, but then you actually have to walk into marriage and wake up next to that person and see them in their good and their bad and their ugly and their beauty, like all of it. 
It's very different. Watching Portlandia and then actually living in Portland. <laughs> Did anyone else do that? I know we have a lot of transplants. Anyone else do that? Right? You're like, let's see what this city is all about. And like, I knew someone who watched that and the wife freaked out. I was like, I'm not moving there. And then I watched it. was like, it's kind of funny. Like, that seems like a fun place to live. And you're always like, okay, it's very stereotypical. And if they made that about my hometown, it would look, you know, kind of chaotic and crazy as well. But you get the point. Information is useful, but information is no substitute for an actual experience. And eventually what most of us will do, we'll take some risk in our lives. And we will, we will go from the, the head knowledge and knowing about something to actually experiencing that thing. Now, for most of those things in life, the risk is relatively low. And we kind of keep it that way intentionally. Maybe you, you study about cooking or you look up a recipe and then you actually cook, right? What's the risk that you take? Well, that it tastes really bad or maybe that you burn the meal. It's not it's kind of a low risk. Just don't burn the house down. Um, doing a home project. You study about doing, like we put down laminate wood floors when we lived on the East Coast and we had to study about doing that. Now, worst case scenario, yeah, you could waste a lot of money and you do them crooked and uh, those types of things, but still it's kind of relatively low. Uh, finally finishing that degree that you've been studying. Right? What you went to school for, maybe your passion. And it's once again, you get these credentials and you have these letters next to your name, but then actually getting a, a career in that profession of what you've studied for so long. And then sometimes you realize, wow, I actually don't want to do this. I wish I would have known that. Or you get into it and realize, wow, it's way different to like practically do this versus studying about it. But when it comes to our faith, especially this meaningful season that we call Advent, the stakes are so much higher. Let me explain. The stakes are so much higher if you were like me when we can easily and mistakenly substitute information surrounding Advent, surrounding this time of year, for an experience with the living God this time of year. Once again, we, we kind of know the songs that Ben will sing, and we know some of the passages that will be read, and we kind of, you know, we'll put major scenes out and different things. We kind of, we kind of get that, right? We kind of know the, the knowledge of the things and even some of the debates where the wise men there, do they come later? But we can substitute that and go right through the season, just rush on through and substitute for an actual experience with the living God, which I believe that's what we're actually being invited into at Advent season. And the risk that we take isn't just that we settle for a lesser version of the same thing. The risk is that we actually miss out entirely on what God is inviting us into. Yes, Advent is a special season that we set aside once a year and we celebrate at Christmas time. But it's important for us to remember that Advent is this historical event to not only remember once a year, but it's actually an, an event for us to experience as we kind of walk into this and we're guided through. That's why we set aside and do kind of a specific series at Advent, not just because most other churches are also doing that, and we don't only sing those Christmas songs just because it's like what we're supposed to do, but actually as an invitation to experience God in this season in a special way. I mean, think about what we are celebrating. We are celebrating the arrival of God, in God incarnate, who they call the God-man, where God stepped out of heaven and sent Jesus to earth. When we say that, you sometimes say Emmanuel. Like Emmanuel means God with us. That is the invitation of what we are invited into this season. Not just singing some special songs, not just hearing some special messages, but actually experiencing the living God, the God of the universe, like the God who created all things. And so this is a reminder that Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and into our reality so that we could experience life with God, not just gain some information about God. And Jesus didn't come just so we can fill up a bunch of notebooks, go, look, I know all this stuff about God, or look at this, you know, I've got two seminary degrees, look at these degrees I got, but so that we could actually experience God. And so what Luke is going to show us this morning as we 
get back into our text, is that we can have, how we can actually experience God all year long, not just at Christmas. But specifically what we're going to look at is this idea of making room and making room for God this Christmas season. And that might sound funny at church service, like, hey, that's what we're supposed to do, right? Like, but I think a lot of us, and I'm putting myself in this category, are guilty of not making room for God. And so go ahead, if you have your Bibles, and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we'll be in Luke chapter 2. We'll look at the first seven verses. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get into the text. God, I thank you again for a weekend that we can gather as your church, as a church family. God, I look at the men and women and children in this room, and I'm just thankful for them. God, I love every single person in this room, and I hope that they know that. God, I pray that this Advent season, this morning, reminded the invitation that you are giving us. God, it's an invitation into good news, not just information. God, may we leave here this morning transformed by that invitation. It's in your name. Amen. So there's kind of two main points to this sermon. Last week, um, Kevin came in, had seven points, right? So I've only got two main points. This season, make room for the presence of God and make room for relationship with God. Say that again. This season, make room for the presence of God and make room for a relationship with God. And so our first point is make room for the presence of God. Let's look at those first um, six verses. I'm going to read the first three, then I'll pause and we'll finish the other three. Luke 2, verse 1. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. So Luke starts his second chapter of uh, his book by providing us with the information around what's happening historically and politically at the time when Jesus is born. So it's kind of giving us the surrounding details. We find this Roman leader named Caesar Augustus who issued a decree that essentially affected all of the known world at the time. Now, this decree or policy enforced that everyone living in the Roman Empire to register so that Caesar could tax them. So this is the time when Jesus is entering history, a time which under Roman rule, God's peoples are actually an oppressed people. Right? I think when we think about celebrating, it's like, yeah, like you would think like the people following Jesus, like they're excited this time of year. Like this is, they're actually under oppression at this time. And so there's all these human circumstances of what is actually happening culturally when Jesus is born. But I think sometimes what we can fail to realize is that as we see these human circumstances and really these um, inconveniences is that there's an invisible power behind all these human rulers and circumstances. Although they don't know it, and we, we kind of know it on this side, but forget it, although they don't know it in the moment, like imagine if you were actually there living it, God is using Caesar and Quirinus to fulfill what he promised long ago. One commentary I used, it said, this whole meaning of Christian history is summed up in the contrast of Caesar Augustus making his decree, while at the same time, God is sending forth his son. This has been prophesied years and years before, and now it's actually coming to fulfillment. But if you're Joseph and Mary and the others living it, you're kind of going, like, why are they doing this now? Of all, you know, this, this is inconvenient to me. Let's pick up in verses 4 through 6. It says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Now, if you remember to a couple weeks ago, when we first opened this series, we, we talked about and reflected on the 400 years of silence from God, that that was what had happened prior to this um, first couple chapters in Luke here. But, but 400 years before the silence, 
We've got to ask ourselves, what was happening then? Well, 400 years before the silence and before the birth of Christ, God had told his people through the prophet Micah, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And so Joseph and Mary start out in Nazareth of Galilee, and then God uses this emperor's census in order to fulfill what he had promised 400 years earlier so that Joseph would end up in his hometown of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is also known as the city of David, which holds a massive importance for this story. Now, I'm going to read Micah 5.2, which we opened up with this morning. It says, But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Now, you may not read it as clearly. I know we talk about different translations and what you might read, but it's pointing to this reality that we're looking at now, and this was hundreds of years earlier that this is what was spoken. And so God is using it, it's almost like a chessboard. I know we have a couple of chess players in here. It's like God's taking the chess pieces and orchestrating them in the order that he wants them to be in so that his promises are actually fulfilled. Meanwhile, if you're the pieces, we're kind of like the pieces on the chessboard. We're like, why is this happening? This seems like odd that this is happening right now. And so don't miss this. The details that we see in this story, they serve to authenticate that this baby, Jesus, this is the guy that we've been waiting for, the one that Micah had prophesied all those hundreds of years ago. That the details are pointing to that reality, but it would be easy for us to miss that. So this is a reminder that God's people never need to fear the laws of man, because over those laws are the laws of God. Even when men are ruling for their own end, God is at work to fill his plan. And this is still true of our lives today. You might hear something, and you know we're, we're all really, we live in the United States, so we might hear something that President Biden puts out there, and we think, really, can he do that, or why is this happening? Or we might our taxes go up, or you know something, some inconvenience with government. We think, what in the world? But God is still using those things for His good. It's just as the people in the moment, we may not see that. It may be years later that we see how God is working for His good. I mean, I think about um, one of the fastest growing. Uh, Church, uh, Christian nations, I guess you'd say, or, or, or where Christians are growing is in China, right? And you think some of that was actually imposed the way the government made some moves, that then the church went underground, and it was like flourishing like crazy. And so even, even with the pandemic, I think one of the, sometimes the way it's positive, I think the church was kind of uh, thinned out a little bit of those who were just kind of like, this is kind of a cool social club, and those who really wanted to be involved in part, but then also it was like, okay, sometimes it's getting smaller, it means we're all involved, like we're all, we're all on board. And so there's different things throughout history. So, man, this has actually served God's purposes. So let me, let's look at this, this story, though. I can imagine the inconvenient timing for this census. Since Joseph has, now has to travel 90 miles, not only 90 miles, but by foot, with his nine-month pregnant wife, Mary, to pay taxes that I'm sure he doesn't want to pay. So this makes me think of a family trip going completely wrong. We've all been there. I've had, even, even this past summer, some of you know some of the extra travels we had when we were in California. They have this, to make this 90-mile trek because a census is imposed by the government. Now, 90 miles, in case you're not sure, that would be like us walking to Corvallis. Okay? That's, that's going to take me a while to get there. But at least we generally know when we have to file and pay our taxes. That season's not that far off. And if you don't know about it, talk with Crystal after the service because she can help you get direct where you need to go. But President Biden won't suddenly, at least we don't think, require us to go to our hometown on foot to pay taxes. I don't see that coming in the near future. Then the best rental car that they can find is a donkey. This is probably the equivalent of our smart cars that we see driving around our cities. Like, those things are dangerous. Um, but Mary, nine months pregnant at this point, 
And there's no special mail-in form. She can't opt out and be like, hey, I'm about to have a baby. Like I know when, when, when with Andrea, she's like, she would say the expression, like, I'm about to pop. Right? I'm about to, I'm about to pop. The, the little thing in the turkey is about to pop in the oven. Let you know it's done. Like, this baby's coming out soon. Can I just mail in a form? Well, today we'd probably be able to do that, but they weren't allowed to do that. So what bad timing? I mean, think about when we have a baby today. We know all kinds of details. We meet with doctors. We meet with nurses. Like, weeks and months before the baby's going to come, we know where we will park. We know the first room we got to go into, and some of us even have scheduled births, so we know exactly what day it's going to happen. But Mary gets none of that. None of that. Instead, she's in an unfamiliar place. She has to walk there. (laughs) She ends up with an unfamiliar people when Jesus is getting ready to arrive. And then they finally reach their destination to find out that there's no room for them anywhere. They arrive, and after Mary and Joseph likely bicker for a little bit, right? Imagine the trip's gone wrong and all these details and things you didn't think through. They unload the donkey, and now Mary goes into labor. Like, nothing about this scene says, glory from on high, the God of the universe has sent Jesus to arrive. But there's so much that we see in this scene to actually instruct us. Have you ever wondered why Luke spends six verses on all these details? kind of ask myself that this, this week. Like, why does he spend six verses giving us all of these things? I mean, who cares about the details? Just give me the facts. Like, give me three bullet points. Here's what happened. Here's what took place. But he gives all the details. And now the birth narrative of Jesus, on the surface, it looks kind of very circumstantial and for political reasons that led Jesus to go to Bethlehem. But Luke provides all of these details for a reason. He provides all these details to show us that the God who controls human history guarantees that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem in accordance with the Old Testament prophet history. So God was working through this all along. And so as we reflect this morning, church, we too are meant to recognize God's sovereign control over history. God uses all these characters, he uses all these circumstances to get Joseph and Mary to where they are supposed to be when Jesus was supposed to be born as it had been prophesied. Like God wasn't worried, like how am I going to get Mary and Joseph there? God knew what was going to unfold. And so it wasn't because of an inconvenience and it wasn't because of a taxation or even coincidence. The whole birth narrative is evidence of God's presence over all things. That should encourage us as we look at our own lives. That should encourage us as we look at the season of life that we're in and maybe the inconveniences that we are experiencing because we see God's sovereign presence over all of the Advent story. It's there. It's present. Sure, it's less subtle. And more obvious, maybe for us, more obvious with Joseph and Mary, I mean, uh, uh, the angel Gabriel had visited, so like, this is going to happen. So they kind of had a heads up. Maybe we don't get that. We don't get a, a notification or text message on our phone. But for, here for us, it's more subtle to the point it's easy to miss. It'd be easy to miss by glossing over the details and just moving on to the main event. But once you see it, it's hard to unsee. And that was kind of my experience this week, is once I saw this in this new light, it's hard for me to unsee it. Because what Luke does is he helps us place the birth of Jesus in the context of world history. He helps to show us that God is present and active in the details of not only nations, but of your life and my life. So right now, today, and you may not see it, and you may choose to refuse to acknowledge it, but that doesn't change the fact that God is working. Look, I know the last couple years have been hard. It's been difficult. Once again, we kind of group them together as potentially the worst decade of our lifetime. And I know for some of you, it's been more difficult than others, right? Someone's going through some extreme difficulty. And some of you are just going through some inconvenient times. 
in your life, or maybe you're experiencing disappointment or even regret. And I fully get that. But this story, this birth narrative this morning, it serves to remind us that even in these times that we're currently facing, and even these times that we're currently living, that God is present and active in the world around us. But sometimes we just forget to make room for his presence. We forget to make room to reflect where is God at work. I was talking with a ministry coach of mine this week. Some of you met on our retreat, and I just mentioned something that happened in my day the day before, and he said, praise God for that small blessing and how he was working. I hadn't even noticed it. And I'm sitting here preparing this, and I was like, man, that's an example that, yeah, God was at work in that conversation with that individual, and I wasn't even recognizing it because my mind's already moved on to the next thing. And so sometimes it's just that we need to make room for the presence of God. And so here's what I'm getting at. A lack of inexperience with God's presence isn't a lack of activity on God's part, but a lack of an awareness on our part. Let me say that again in case you missed it. A lack of of an experience with God's presence isn't a lack of activity on God's part. In other words, God is moving, God is working, but it's a lack of awareness on our part. God is always present. God is always active, but we have to wake up. What I mean by this, we have to slow down sometimes. Our lives are so fast-paced that we have to slow down to actually be present with God and say, God, where are you working? Help me see where it is you are working. And we have to make room for God's presence. Now, some people are more detail-oriented people. I know we might have some of those in the room. As an artist and architect, Andrea knows what to look for when looking for details. Uh, We can go to an art gallery on a a date, and we'll look at the exact same paintings. And I'll kind of move on kind of quickly. Oh, that's nice. I'll move on, and she'll just like stare at it and then move on slowly and or we'll go on an architect tour. We did that when we went to Chicago. And we'll walk away with two very different experiences. Now, sure, art is subjective, right? Kind of open to interpretation. But my point is, Andrea knows how to look for the details. She can tell you, like, oh, they did this. It looks like they used this medium, or they used this building materials, or that's why they did this. And it you know, makes sense for certain areas of the country, like where we are, that if the big one ever comes to take out the city, like, wow, they, they built something a certain way. She knows how to look for that. As someone who understands art and architecture, she has this keen awareness of where to look and what to look for that I don't have. Now, for many of us, we don't experience God, not because he isn't present and actively working, but because we haven't developed an awareness to see it, to feel it, to know it. Now, you might hear that, and that begs the question, okay, Matt, well, how, how do we develop that awareness? How do we develop an awareness to be keen and, and to see how God is working, where he's working? We develop that awareness by keeping God before our minds. Now, I know that's easier said than done. Like, how am I actually supposed to do that? I'm supposed to put a picture of him on the mirror or like on my, on my rear view, uh, the thing that flaps down the car. Like, what, what, how am I supposed to see God on my mind? We have to direct and redirect and redirect our hearts and our minds constantly back to him. And some would say this, like, preach the gospel to yourself. Like, the gospel isn't only for those who don't believe the gospel. It's for all of us. But we have to constantly redirect our hearts and our minds because life is hard. Life is distracting. We get caught up in the details and the chaos of it all that we forget to look. And so we have to constantly, you know, it's like if your car is out of alignment, if you let go of the wheel, it'll start, you know, drifting one way or the other. Right? And some of you shaking your heads because your car is out of alignment and you need to get them aligned. Um, but if your car is in alignment, you can actually let go of the wheel. I'm not saying you should do this, but I'll drive with my knees sometimes or just not at all. Um, and it just kind of drives straight. And so that's kind of what it is with our hearts. Like we, we're kind of out of alignment. And we, we need to get auto-corrected. And so we, we kind of, we, we need to get where we can direct and redirect our minds back on Christ. And you might be thinking, again, okay, that sounds good, but 
You know, for my car, I can take it to uh, Le Schwab and they'll, they'll, they'll do the alignment for me. Then it'll work. But like, what's the equivalent of that for me? How do we practically do that? Like, how do we actually live this out? It's one thing to say it on a Sunday morning, but how do we live that out? Now, I don't have a special formula to give you. I don't have a snap your fingers, turn around, do this, and it's going to work. And I'm not good at this myself. So I want you to hear that on the front end. I'm not, this isn't Matt pointing the finger saying, you need to do this. I'm saying, like, I'm with you. And maybe you're not all there. But if anything, I'm preaching this to myself this morning. Like, Matt, how do you redirect your heart to God constantly? But just maybe, there are a few strugglers in the room with me. I meet with a seasoned pastor once a month. Uh, he does what they call soul care. Kind of think therapy for pastors. And he's continually helping me with things like this. Continually helping to remind me of where God's at work and helping me, give me some tools and resources of like how it is that I can slow down. How it is that I can make room for God during the day. Now, this is not a religious routine or checklist, so I don't want you to hear this and go, okay, I've got to do that. Because this may not work for you. But this is just one, and I might put this on our blog, this is one little snippet to say, here's something that might work for you, that, that he's helped me kind of implement a little bit. Break your day down into thirds. It's pretty easy. Most of us do that anyway. Like, we got morning, got afternoon, we've got night. I heard one pastor say it this way. As you start your day, before your day starts, you. So in the morning, this might mean attempting to get up before you have to and feeling prepared for the day versus hitting snooze one too many times, which sets the trajectory for the rest of our day. Right, you've been there. You hit snooze one too many times, then you wake up and you realize, I've got half the time I normally have to get ready. Now you're racing around, you're trying to find your shoes, you've got mismatched socks on, you're not even sure if you brushed your teeth today, and you just race out the door. Right? So that is, that's not going to set you up for a, a good day. It seems like your whole day is just kind of off. And so it starts from the moment you wake up. If you can make the time, if you can make room, maybe just sit in silence with God. Tune your attention awareness to Him. Don't do like I'm guilty of doing and look at your phone right away. You know, maybe make a rule for yourself. I'm going to leave the phone over there until I just sit for a few minutes. And for me, you're going to make a cup of coffee and reflect as you sip on coffee with Jesus. Silence, reflection, and attune our awareness to what he is doing in our life and the world around you. Maybe you just take time to reflect on the previous day of what happened and what took place. Afternoon, somewhere around midday, pause your day. Maybe just pick a time. I mostly think of lunchtime. But if you're like a lot of people, and myself included, I race through lunch. I don't take a, a lunch hour. I take a, what can I grab, roll up some meat and cheese and a wrap, eat it and keep going. But maybe you take some time and you just kind of pause and reflect and pray. Like, well, how's my day been so far? If it's healthy for you, it works for you. There's apps like Centering Prayer is an app that kind of guides you through some reflective prayer. The point is to look for God's activity and presence in your day, even the interruptions of your day. Hey, that person kind of held me up at the store where I went this morning. Was God in that, though? Was there something, a conversation that took place? And then night, you probably guessed it, but end your day before your day ends you. In other words, don't do things until the last moment before you go to bed. Once again, I'm guilty of doing this. You know, I'm, I'm kind of ready to veg out. It's been a long day, and I'll just turn on the TV, and I'll watch uh, every last minute of TV until right time to go to bed. You know, brush teeth, and I fall into bed. So maybe it just means turn off the TV or the, or the phone or social media a little bit earlier to give yourself some time to reflect on the day. You know, the idea is that you kind of rummage through your day. When people rummage through the, the, the can collection, the night before they come and pick up the cans, people always rummage through my cans because they're looking, they're looking for cans to get 10 cents back. Like rummage through your day. But God, where were, you, where were you at work? I'm looking for those nuggets of, of, you know, you may not see it in everything. So I'm not saying make things up, but the, rummage through to examine where you're working, God. Where was God present? 
And all of this is more about experiencing God relationally than it is a religious routine. So once again, I'm not saying it's a religious routine. If it doesn't work for you, don't use it. But that's just one example. And then also do this with others. There's a reason God's called us in community. Your church family, those around you, do this together as you make room for the presence of God. Brings us to our second point. Make room for relationship with God. Let's look at our final verse, verse 7. It says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So it says that she gave birth to her firstborn son. So here we have the greatest miracle in the history of the world. The eternal son of God, the promised one, being born and being born as a man. And it happens quietly in a stable in an obscure village in Judea. Nobody really knows that this is happening. As, as you look at the story, it's almost humorous and anticlimactic that Luke spends six verses giving us all these details that lead us to this main event. We get there, and it's like he just drops it in one verse. Like you would think it would be the reverse. So we'll give you all the details in one verse, and we'll spend six verses talking about Jesus. And his description gives us very few details. He's a swaddling cloth. So we see these ancient strips of cloth that were used to kind of wrap the baby to keep him warm and secure. Since he was born in a manger, which most say they believe is a feeding trough for animals, and that there was no place for them, that there was no faith place fit for the birth of the Savior of the world. So we see this contrast between the birth commonness and the child's greatness could not be greater. The promised one of God enters creation among the creation. And we see that there was this profane decree of a census that has put the child in the promised city where God said he would be born all those hundreds of years before. Because God is quietly at work and a stable is the Messiah's first throne room. But he does tell us that the Savior has such a humble birth. How do we know that? It says there was no room for them. There was no room for the promised Savior. As he arrives, the world doesn't make room. And it's tragic, right? If you look at this, you go, man, if they had only known that this is who this baby was, they would have made room. But we are so easily guilty of the same thing. Our lives are so full that and so easy to not make room or to have room for Jesus. Right? We'll make room for everything else. For our jobs, for, for our school, for our significant others, for our friends. But it's easy to do all those things. And just things you have to do, right? I've been doing solo dad duty for a couple weeks. Andrea, the kids are here and dressed again, as we reminded last week. But grocery shopping and washing clothes and Picking up after. So it's so easy. Everything else in life other than to make room for Jesus. And so a couple of things we've even provided for you this year at Sojourn is, you know, Advent devotional. Once again, if it doesn't work for you, that's fine. But just a way to help guide you into making room for the, the presence of God. The prayer guide that we have. But maybe this season I too just don't have room for him. I think about one of our fam favorite family traditions every year. I love Thanksgiving, you already know that, but I also love the day after Thanksgiving. Not because it's Black Friday, but because we get the annual Boyd family Christmas tree. And I love living in Oregon because we have the largest Christmas tree producing state in the nation. So if you have a fake tree, don't even get me started. I don't want to know um, because that's anti-biblical. No, that's a joke. But if you have a fake tree and you live in a state, I was like, come on, I'll help you buy it. Like, we got to get these real trees to support these local farmers. But we go out to, usually out to the hills, we're out to Hillsboro this year, and we walk and we look for that perfect Christmas tree. Now, unfortunately, some of our farms were hit with the heat wave this summer, so they lost like a third of their crop. 
but we wanted to support the same farm. So I literally, I think I looked at every tree on that farm. Like I just walked and walked and Andrea and the kids were just kind of waiting. I want a big tree, I want a really tall tree, and I want a really full tree. That's what I desire to get. So we get the tree, we cut it down, we tie it to the top of the car, and then every year, what happens? We get to the house, and you have to, you have to rearrange the whole living room. Right? It's like, okay, do we move the couch here? Do we move the chair here? This year, we, we removed the whole recliner, and we put it down in the basement. And why did I do that? I had to do that to make room for this Christmas tree that's going to enter into our house, for this thing that's going to come in for this season of, of, of a few weeks and be there present in my living room. Now, although not a perfect analogy, making room for a Christmas tree in my house is a picture of what we are invited into at Advent. To make room for God. This is a fresh invitation to us from God to rearrange our lives, just like you might rearrange your living room for a tree to make room for God. Because that's what it takes. It really does take some rearranging around of priorities and things that you have to do. And so as we conclude and respond this morning... I want to help direct and redirect our lives and our hearts by inviting us again into the Advent, the Advent invitation from God. And so no matter who you are this morning, an insider or an outsider, there, this is good news for you. This is a good invitation for you. So I'm just going to address the, maybe the two or three categories of people that might be in the room this morning. First is the insider. You're all too familiar with the feeling of being stretched too thin, being overcrowded and overcommitted. You say yes to everything, and people sometimes take advantage of that. Well, for you, Advent is an opportunity to slow down, to make room for God and let, like, rearrange things in your life because it's going to be life-giving to your life and your soul. Maybe, maybe it means you do an audit of your life and you just kind of look at your priorities. Do they align with what you actually value the most in life? Maybe you reflect on a couple questions such as what things in my life are consuming more of my time, my money, my attention than they should? What things can I get off my plate? And once identified, what practically needs to happen to make room this season for a relationship with God? And then who will I share this with and invite to join me? What I mean by that is this, we have these things called tables. When you, when you share with someone else, invite them in so that you can have accountability and that they need that accountability as well. The second group is the outsider. I don't know what brought you this morning or what caused you to tune in this morning. But regardless, I want you to hear this, that this is a safe place. Like we try to be really intentional about providing a safe place here at Sojourn. We're not just looking for everyone to say, I agree with this 100%, I do it this way. Like it's that journey that we're literally inviting everyone on. And we're all at different places, even this morning. But we're providing a safe place and space for you to process whatever it is that you need to process this season. But I want to remind you of something, that God loves you. God is advocating for you so much that he sent his son from heaven to live a perfect life, die the death that, so that your sins and my sins and the sins of the world could be forgiven and resurrect so that we could have a relationship with the living God, not just know information about him and experience the living God. And this is good news. And perhaps there's a third category. Maybe we've confused information for transformation and actual experience. So regardless of the category that you would maybe place yourself in this morning, that's between you and God, God has made the first move this Advent season. God has invited us into this relationship with him. And that is what we're going to respond to together as a church this morning. And so I'm going to go ahead and invite Ben to come back up. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll respond in worship. 
God, this season, may we slow down and make room for you. God, I think rearranging our living room for a Christmas tree is really a small picture of what we do with a lot of areas of our lives. God, we will rearrange our lives for a relationship with someone. We'll rearrange our lives for a degree. We'll rearrange our lives to get the, the ideal job, even working an inconvenient schedule. God, we'll rearrange our lives to live in a certain city or in a certain type of housing. God, we'll rearrange our lives for so many things, but oftentimes we won't rearrange our lives for you. And so God, we ask for forgiveness where we, just like the people in Luke 2, aren't making room for you. God, I ask that your spirit who's present would penetrate our hearts so much that you would show us where it is we haven't made room and how it is that we can practically make room for you. God, may we leave here this morning, not with a checklist of things to do, but may we leave here in awe and wonder of Emmanuel, God with us. And may that reality calls our hearts to worship the living God who we get invited into an experience with this Advent season. God, we love you. We give this time of worship over to you. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.